0: All right, we got Pelotero Pickle. It is Monday, November 16th. I'm here with Chris Colabello celebrating International Pickle Day, a couple days late. How are we doing, Chris?
1: International Pickle Week. Pickle Week? Interna- International Pickle Weekend, we could call it.
0: Who, makes, who determines when it's a pickle day? Like, how
1: there's, have- a, there's a day for everything now. Everybody's like, oh, it's International Twin Day. It's International Hot Dog Day. So I feel like there's got to be some overlap somewhere. Who determines it? Twitter. I don't know. Yeah. Don't
0: know is there like did. some international organization that's like pickles need a day? Like tomatoes can be next week. Today we got pickles. <laughs> <laughs> like what does <is> that
1: happen? <laughs> Speaking of international stuff, who do you think named IHOP the International House of Pancakes?
0: Uh, that's a good question.
1: Like, how do you become international? That's what I because, want. because like
0: if you went to France, it'd be the international house of crepes.
1: Yeah. How's that?
0: <laughs> in belgium they'd be waffles so yeah i don't know i think it's uh pretty fluky to be honest
1: yeah well we get to celebrate pickle day and we it was almost like we knew it was coming
0: yeah thanks to your mom texting us <laughs> Silvana coming through in the clutch with yeah the, with the pickle day uh all right let's jump in i'm here at guarantee rate field stadium uh in honor of jose Abreu winning the mvp in the american league Super emotional for him. His story is incredible. Came over from Cuba, like left his whole family behind. He broke down crying. It was awesome.
1: Yeah. I didn't see the press conference, but I heard about it. Um, Played against the ReU. Super, just go about your business. Like one of the, not to stereotype, but like one of the least emotional Latin players I've ever seen. Like very, just matter of fact. And I think that actually reflects in, his play since he's been a big leaguer. Like he's just been as steady as anybody's ever been. Um, almost, I, I think, doesn't get enough recognition, attention, credit for how good he is because uh, he is that just staunch. You know, he just goes out and does his thing. and It was nice to see him get rewarded with the MVP. And also, former teammate Ryan Sparrow got an MVP vote, so that was cool.
0: The the accidental click. Uh, yeah, Jose Abreu, career 294 hitter. I mean, he's just steady. He, he's been in the American League since two thousand fourteen. Twenty seven years old, so he, he kind of got here later in terms of his baseball life. Um, you could relate to that, <laughs> getting to the big leagues late in your life. Yeah. But I mean, he's just super steady. I mean, he his OPS this year was a career high. He's just steady. He just he goes out. He performs. I think for that lineup, he contributes that veteran presence for a lot of the younger players. So I don't know how much that factored into voting, but I think that part's pretty obvious with that roster makeup.
1: Uh, I I think it was a, it was such a interesting year and how many people could have won the MVP because you had so many teams make the playoffs because theoretically the argument gets made that, you know, you have to be a winning team to have the MVP. And obviously Mike Trout's kind of broken that philosophy a few times, but um, yeah, well-deserved. I mean, I think really the only, the only other person in the conversation was Jose Ramirez, in my opinion. Um,
0: he got So Abreu got 21 first-place votes. Ramirez got eight. And then DJ LeMay got one. So definitely a two-horse race there.
1: Now, the question is, you said DJ LeMay, who got one. Is DJ LeMay, who an MVP candidate in your mind? Like, should he have been or could he be? Like, is he even the MVP of the Yankees? I mean, and it's hard to say no because he led free world in hitting and was really good. So um, he
0: actually Lemayu's OPS was uh it was one point zero one one. So he was over a thousand for OPS. So he I believe that led the league, at least the American league in in OPS, which is uh to me one of the best indicators. He had three sixty four, ten homers. Is he the I mean he's just not like he's a dangerous hitter, but is he feared? It's kind of a weird dynamic.
1: Yeah. All he does is hit, hit, hit no matter what. All he does is hit, 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 no matter what. And oddly enough, he uses the right side of the field abundantly. Weird, weird. Yeah, he's a good hitter, man. I, it's weird. It's just weird to to think about him in that conversation because when you think of the Yankees, you got so many horses. Like, I, I'm hard pressed to say Luke Voigt wasn't a more impactful player. And this is a this is me talking. This is Johnny batting average saying, you know, the guy with all the homers probably was like a, a more I don't know, not necessarily a steadying force, but more impactful. And, I mean, Voight really took on a lot of that responsibility when when Judge was out and Stanton was out. And the middle of the order bats really were kind of lacking. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I can see it going anyway. Uh, at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of people's opinions where they click on some buttons and put in votes, and that's how Ryan Tapera got a vote. Ryan Tapera, you know, congrats on an MVP vote this year, man. You're doing, was, you're could,
0: doing it. I think the uh, the National League is is pretty interesting. Uh, if you look at so Freddie Freeman won, awesome player. Uh, his teammate had more hits, more homers, more RBI, uh, walked a few less times, batting average was less by three points, uh, higher OPS. So Azuna uh, – sorry, his his uh, OPS was just a little bit lower. Um, Juan Soto you got fifth had higher batting average, same amount of homers in less games. So yeah, in way favorite.
1: less games because he
0: – 13 less games.
1: He had he missed some games for COVID, fake COVID. Um, and then he came back and he was just hitting rockets his first day. I, I remember seeing it like that first week he hit a ball out of uh, – uh, what's it called? Not Shea Stadium. What's it, what is it now? Big Apple Stadium. God, what's it called? Okay. City Field. City Field. Gosh, I can't believe I forgot that. Does that mean I'm getting
0: old? No, it means the Mets have been pretty. Now that hard, but <laughs> no, they're not going to be with uh, new ownership coming in. Yeah, new owner. Who knows? So we're just going completely off the script here. What do you got on that? Uh, his press conference was electric. This dude's—he's a, a fan first. He's almost—I feel like he's going to be the new side runner.
1: Love fans first, owners. You need fans first, owners. Got to
0: Like, like in addition to fan first, this dude has—he's the richest owner in baseball now. Yeah. So he's got—he's got New York City. Which is a huge draw for a lot of players, I feel like. Um, but his passion, like Strowman took the qualifying offer basically because of the press conference. So that's what it well. It like. I mean,
1: like Stro And it was a good option for him. And it's eighteen point nine million. So yeah, the tweet was like, Yeah, I'm excited to play for you, but cool, like eighteen nine. Like I'm gonna put that right there. Um, but yeah, I mean I I've I've liked everything I've heard about him. Seems like a pretty down to earth guy. Um
0: I was listening to a show this morning about how to use his money wisely. And I I forget the name. It was on MLB Network, but the guy was talking about how he shouldn't necessarily go after big free agents, but his ability to create depth in like the bullpen, where typically a guy gets like two years, 14 million. He can come and be like, oh, I'll give you 17 million. Or I'll, give yeah. you, I'll give you a couple more million just to get the those like really good role players where he can offer just a little bit more.
1: Or he should just pay everybody everything and then win. I'm a player, I'm biased. I think everybody should get paid. Just Give something. Liam Hendricks a three year, $72 million deal. Pretty good deal. Get, get you a little Justin Turner for 12 years and 800 million. You know, that would work. They would all work. They would all say yes to those offers. I
0: Yeah, it's crazy when, so like the, the luxury tax creates this illusion that fans don't want their owners to spend money. Yeah. It's like, if they've got the money, they should be trying to win or it's it's, they're running it as a business. It's a business.
1: I I think that's the part that really pains me about like from the fan perspective, it's like, so if you're saying this guy shouldn't get this money, all you're saying is that you want the owner who's a bajillionaire to have it. So you're like, it's not like if the player doesn't get it, they're going to give it to you or they're going to lower ticket prices. So I like, I need, I need that dynamic to be out there where it's just kind of, Hey, don't worry about the luxury tax thresholds. It's just the money's mm-hmm. going to cycle back through the league. They're going to pay it to the league. It is what it is, guys. It's okay. I don't think the Dodgers are hurting. I don't think they're in the in the on the struggle bus. They're going to be all right, you know. And now there's all the talks about Francisco Lindor getting traded. And then I had a nostalgic moment. I watched his E60 that he did a couple years ago, or whatever. Or I don't even. It came, probably came out recently because there were clips of this year. Um, Francisco Lindor's going to get traded.
0: Where do you think he's going to go?
1: Probably the team that trades for him. I'm guessing. I don't think he'll go anywhere else. He'll just go to the team that traded for him.
0: That's a good call. Maybe it's going to be the Marlins. What do you think about that? We got. Think, uh, are the Marlins nice now? Uh, yeah. They, they made a playoff run. They went from being kind of the laughing stock early with some COVID issues. Um, so they just hired. This is the major news with them. Kim Eng, general manager, first female hired in. Uh, major North American sports. I think it's awesome. Uh, Baller
1: resume, by the way. Yeah, won so, like eight, she's like won like 80 World Series, I think.
0: So, here's a so th- the reality of the situation was baseball is a man sport, men's sport traditionally. And she was, I mean, her qualifications were off the charts. If you did like a blind, like candidate A, candidate B, and said, which one should you be taking, she should have had a job a long time ago based on resume. Um, just baseball wasn't ready. And it's, you know, I'm a girl dad. So I got two little girls and it's pretty cool to see, you know, it, it shifts your perspective about, you know, what they get to see growing up. They, they won't know a world where a woman is running a major league baseball team and you could go political with it, depending on what happens with the election. But it's pretty cool. Like to know that, my kids are going to grow up with 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 role models that other generations haven't.
1: I think it's it's weird. It's weird. It's just a weird dynamic, right? Where, and I, I never really thought too much about this over the course of times. Because the sport is a man's sport, because men play the sport, I think the natural predisposition was to have men running the sport, right? For years and years and years. And um, it took really... I think not necessarily powerful women, but women who had were very like self-assured and and felt like they understood the game well enough to, to really want to take that leap and and try to get into those conversations. Cause when you get into those rooms and you start talking shop with people, especially, and it happened, I think to us as we were growing up when you, or at least this how it was when I was growing up, you'd feel this different energy, right? Like it was this different presence of people who had been around it and, and it's intimidating. It's it's really like uh, I, I, it's hard to describe it. You feel this force from whether it be front offices and whether that's real or perceived and depending on who the type of person you're around um, it, it's hard to get comfortable doing that. So to, to all the females who are now entering our game and and, and really can add value because at the end of the day, like I, you just have to understand the game and, and be a good human, I think is what it comes down to. And I and mean, to your point, I I certainly appreciate the fact that they want to be involved in it and they want to learn about it and and now take on roles like this. And I I don't necessarily think it's easy to be a major league GM. Uh, I think it's there's a lot of scrutiny and pressure and um, you know like when things go haywire, you know you're the person that people point to. So it'll be interesting. I'm I'm curious to see how it goes. But certainly, I think the fact that uh, the marvelous Derek Jeter is uh, now involved with the Marlins. Surprise, surprise. They're starting to be good again. And my guy, John Birdie's down there. John Birdie, what a dude. Love John Birdie.
0: Yeah. I think it's uh, – there's the phrase in baseball, if you don't like it, play better. Um, You'd like to think in the the real world that if you perform best, you get opportunities. It's not the reality of the world, like even for the players involved. So from a front office standpoint, I'm actually – I was thinking about it when we got the topics – how much the transition to analytics opened this door for this opportunity. Um, if it was still like, I mean, baseball is a good old boy network, man. It's, it's a lot of, I've been there, done that. You can't even talk to me if you haven't been there. Um, so the, I mean, she's highly educated university of Chicago she, resumes off the charts. Um, she played better for a long time. And that whole, like, you don't like to play better. She played really well for a long time. So it's, nice that she's getting an opportunity setting this example on a much grander stage, carrying a big torch. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And um, I think they have another female in a very high role. It's like two out of the top three roles in baseball ops are, are women with the Marlins. So go get it. Keep winning. Yeah, go get them. Make and a difference. A, and the Marlins had a good year this year. Um, obviously made the playoffs. We'll see what happens. The Jeter effect is real.
1: Yeah, they changed the color of their wall, too, which helped. And also, they don't have that big circus in center field anymore, which is nice. You remember when Lance Berkman was like – the first time they played at Marlins Park, Lance Berkman said something like, I feel like we're at the carnival or at the circus. I've never seen a baseball field look like this because they had the fish tank behind home plate and that monstrosity in center field. Like, I don't know. Obviously, Taylor's thinking – I don't know what the hell he's thinking when they put that thing in center field. Like what were they thinking about? Did you ever think about, like, what was so, that?
0: So WBC 2013, that was, was that the first year the stadium was open?
1: Maybe second. So, no, it had to be before. Cause Burke, no, Berkman was, it was either the second. Yeah. It was second or yeah. third.
0: So uh, one of the games, Joy Taylor, who at the time was doing radio shows now she's on Fox Sports FS1 with Colin Coward, I believe. So Joy, I was sitting with her and she goes, it's like they took everything, all the worst things about Miami, shook it up in a bottle, and let it explode into that stadium. That's good.
1: That's well said. Cause they have a oh, there's like a club out in left field too, right?
0: Yeah. Like it's a, a popular it's a club. Yeah, it's a bar.
1: Yeah, people like go people would go there at night like 10 30. It's like the seventh inning. You see that place starting to bump. And it's not because the game's going on. It's because people are like, trying to get their freak on or whatever
0: when did when did the whole uh like so in arizona they have the pool miami they have a club it's like they try to they tried to
1: yeah baseball became, became entertainment, entertainment. It, it wasn't about baseball anymore like it, when the stadiums i would say it was probably like the stadiums that started getting built in like the early 2000s right like were the first like one one guy was trying to outdo the next like to find like lounges and place to hang out. it wasn't just like the proverbial, "Here's a concession stand, here's your seat," right?" It started becoming like let's see how it, it, they did what uh, what Vegas did. You know, Vegas did the same thing, where they went from, "Hey, you're coming to Vegas to gamble, and we're going to give you your you know free food and rooms and whatever." And then Vegas became a spectacle to be like an equal opportunity entertainment home. That's what they do with baseball. They're like, "Oh, you hate baseball? Come hang out and swim and go to the spa or whatever." You know,
0: spa. Yeah, uh, so yeah. There'll be an interesting team to follow if there's a season next year. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, Bill James said Mookie Betts, boy Marcus, was the best base runner by 22 bases. Or he's 22 bases better than average. I'm not even sure how that's like, calculated. Uh, how do you be the best base runner? um, if you're using the eye test, what's that look like? Mookie's a man.
1: I just, yes, I remember
0: I went to uh spring, tra- I went to a spring training game. I feel like it was like 2017, 2016. What year was that? 2015. He got on base and he was just a menace. He was the energy he created, the attention that he commanded, the aggressiveness that he had, like, it was like uh, he was a magnet. Like everything was focused around him when he was on the bases. I think that's a, a good indicator of a threat on the bases. And then also, just like you don't make mistakes, you don't run into outs, you take advantage of mistakes. And you're like, it helps to be really fast.
1: First, first thing, I need a Marcus uh, bobblehead right here. Um, huge mistake on my part not getting Mookie to sign a bat for me. I have some good bats, but I love Mookie. I, gosh. And the only thing you need to know about the eye test is look at what he did in the World Series to win the game, literally won the game. He's like, oh, I'm going to go on a ground ball to the first baseman and be safe. Like, to me, being a good base runner, it's really about three things. It helps to be fast. It's not imperative, right? And I'm going to go pinky first. I don't know why. It helps to be fast. My legion coach always used to say to me, you can be a really good base runner, you don't have to be fast. And he used to give me credit for being a good base runner. So a little bit, I'm going to, you know. Number two, you have to have great instincts. So, like, understanding when to make your first steps understanding how big your secondary could be uh understanding like predicting where the ball is going to go and what could happen in this situation and they're all just things that you need to think about and the third is you need to pay attention right because if you pay attention the game's telling you what's going on and what you do is you end up creating a game clock right you create the the speed of the game in your mind and then you can see things you can see when you're going to be safe when you're going to be out if you go if if things if this then that right it's just a big algorithm that you run in your head and to me watching him is he's always prepared for whatever circumstance it is and now i don't watch him run the bases at all unless it's like the playoffs but one of the things you always notice is just he's just in in the right places at the right times and obviously having speed helps him so how do you be a good base runner? Instincts and pay attention. And maybe those are both the same thing. Just create create instincts. Like train yourself to have the instincts. When the ball goes here, I'm going to do this. And it's the same thing as playing defense, really. And I think they go very much hand in hand. Now, to say that he was 22 bases above average times outs minus runs plus war, I don't know what that means. But, yeah, Mookie's a pretty good base runner. Like, it's like range factor per nine innings out of position. Like what is that? Well, how do you how do you know that his range factor was better? I watched the game. That's how. I just watched.
0: Yeah, I think uh, looking for opportunities is one a, a trait of a good, ba- a really good base runner. They're looking and anticipating failure. They're they're playing out scenarios in their heads before they happen. Um, you just you when you when you've considered all the possible outcomes of a play. And this is, I've talked about this before. Like the thing that I love the most about baseball is how fast it actually moves and how, how quickly situations change and how you have to adapt on the fly. That's, that's one of the most exciting parts of the game to me. Um, and it's you like, have to make the, it's
1: yeah. And and everything about base running is a calculated risk, right? Like you're, you're run, you're literally like risk rewarding every situation. And I think the best part about him is it. He he very rarely chooses the situations where he there's risk, right? Like where there's too much risk. And I, I don't think you see a lot of people do that. If you look back to 2015 when we played in the division series, Ruben O'Dore was a menace on the bases. And Delano DeShields was an absolute savage. Like those guys were just havoc. And I think they they put pressure on us that we couldn't imagine or couldn't really fathom, especially because you don't really – you don't expect people to play like that. Javi Baez does it too with his slides. So if you if you have this like kind of reckless abandon, but that's like super controlled, you can you can do a lot of damage on the bases in the big leagues because nobody expects it. People just don't they don't expect those things to happen because their their presumption is okay, well, everybody can field and everybody can throw. So when you run the way those guys run, and again Picking the spots when to put pressure on teams because it's the same game ultimately as it is at lower levels and people are human. And like I said, if you pay attention, I think you can do a lot of stuff. You can do a lot, a lot of stuff. I mean, you saw it in little league, the guy, how many times you see the kid on third? That was just a, you know, a tick better than everybody else. He was, he just knew how to time that throw up. And then you, when the catcher was good, you know, the catcher was good because he pumped. It's just about paying attention. You got to play the game within the game. Mm-hmm. Base running <laughs> the same thing.
0: That's it. Exactly. It's the game within the game. It's, it's every, those processes happen inside the player's mind and they're happening so fast that the casual fan has no clue it even exists. And that's. I
1: that's, think it, it it's because more often than not, it's not, it's not a circumstance for it, right? Like that's why baseball can be boring because those situations don't come up very often. They're called opportunities for greatness. Coach Gallagher used to say, that. you remember coach Gallagher, Ed Gallagher was a uh, first base coach extraordinaire for the Worcester Tornados And, you want to talk about a guy who number one was the best human being ever. Like people say that this guy was the best human being ever picked up the trash after games, picked up all the cups. I literally started cleaning up the dugout. Cause I had a, this man was had taught me and Rich Gedman to basically pick up your mess after games. What a wonderful human, but he always called it an opportunity for greatness. And there are few and far between the baseball. Cause most things are routine during a game. Like most things are just routine. A fly ball is routine. A ground ball is routine. Uh, hitting the baseball is routine. It's part of the everyday and the opportunities for greatness are, are much fewer and further between. So it would be a shame to not have the, the the opportunity to capitalize on it because you weren't ready for it. So you always have to be prepared for it in your mind. And I think that takes, that's what takes a lot of discipline in the game is being ready for the situation that is not normal.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Base on it, it's, uh, such a huge value to bring to the game as well that, uh, I go to high school games now, and it's disgusting. The base running is so bad. Um, and it makes you wonder, like, what game are they actually playing? It's like the showcase ball. It's it's a disgusting brand of baseball.
1: Metricing, man.
0: Yep. Uh, Russell Westbrook, basketball news, wants out of Houston. What is going on in the NBA? I'm not a big NBA guy. Producer Patrick is. Um, this whole, like, they're creating, like, super teams. They just, like... Isn't there, isn't there supposed to be rules against people being like, Hey, I want to go play for you.
1: So the, play? the players literally control everything. It, it, they literally control everything. The structure of, of the max and super max contracts. And once guys get to a certain service time or whatever, they pretty much call, call their shots, right. They, they get to make the decisions of where they're going to go and where they're not going to go. Um, I don't really understand the inner working and the dynamics of it, but. I mean, I think it's kind of good for the game, but at the same time, I think there's enough – let's put it this way. I think there's enough talent now in the NBA that we can create, you know, enough parity to to have a competitive competitive year even with a team like the Lakers who is kind of a notch above, right? I think that was – you know, if you caught those guys at the right time, you could beat them in the finals. Like, they weren't just going to walk away with it. Patrick and I were talking about early on, I thought – you know, if Portland played their best game in, in the first round, we could have had an 8-1 upset because the Lakers were faltering going into the playoffs, and then they just kind of flipped the switch back the other way and, and won. But I don't necessarily think creating a super team or, or, or the players having the ability to kind of dictate their own terms and get to do what they want is, is really bad for the game anymore because there's enough talent that I think there's there's an opportunity to to win on both sides on in the East and the West – Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't get, I don't get it per se because it wasn't what was my normal. Like we, we really didn't have a lot of, a lot of say over, Oh, I'm going to get to, to, you know, one year away from free agency or one year into my deal. And I just, I want to trade or I want this or I want that. So, um, yeah, I think it's kind of cool. I don't know.
0: Just two thoughts on that real quick. Uh, could, do you see this potentially happening in baseball where like, could players ever create this environment and then also like from a rivalry standpoint are the rivalries now players versus players as opposed to teams versus teams
1: do i see it happening in baseball hmm. no um the the structure and this goes hand in hand with why baseball's lost some cachet or whatever you want to call it compared to the other sports right it gets talked about a lot Yeah. Viewership of the world series was down in Bauer points to this all the time. He's like, players aren't allowed to have their personalities in baseball. And to some extent, you know, I believe that to be true in other ways I don't because younger players are getting an opportunity to get up to the point we talked about guys just wearing whatever they want when they're young players and things like that. Um, The structure of free agency uh, is going to be different. It allows for, players to move more where the marquee franchise player is just more likely to get traded before he gets to the end of that six year, you know, arbitration cycle or whatever. And I think that's the hard part is you don't have the no trade clause because of the structure of the contract. So until the structures, of the contracts fundamentally change and until the owners really allow it to be a player's league. And they've been, they've been reluctant and resistant to that. And, you know, baseball's worked for a long time is it working now i mean i don't think anybody's you know going to the poor house or like there's anybody that's going to challenge the sport so um it's just a lesser version of working i guess you know and maybe they'll make their adjustments maybe they won't who knows but i i don't i fundamentally don't see baseball ever shifting until the salary structure changes and and that's the hard part is like you get your first three years you're on league minimum deal uh, and then three years of arbitration, sometimes four, depending if you're a super two. So literally it's like seven years of team control until now you're 29, 30, 31, depending on the time. And, and that's, that makes it harder. Where in the NBA, you get kids that are 25, you know, running the league, you know, they're running the league literally. And baseball's trying to get younger, but their salary structure and their pay structure won't allow that to happen. And not to mention the fact that the experience factor and the maturity factor of, of baseball and needing, to have enough at bats under your belt to really understand how to play at a high level or at your highest level, I should say. Um, it all, it, it's just a different game. And I, I don't, I, I, fundamentally personally don't think it can
0: happen. I would tend to agree with you. All right. Quick post show. We're going, we're going long on time here. We're going to go one post show question. Name one player from a, from one sport you would want to see play another sport. So we're not, we're not even going to be baseball focused on this. Pick a player you would want to see play a different sport.
1: I mean, the obvious answer is I want LeBron to play football.
0: That's that was mine, one hundred percent. Yeah, so
1: I can't even say that. I got to think of something else. I'm gonna let you have that one. You've um, seen you've seen Giannis swing a baseball bat, right? When they had the uh, I would like I
0: would like to see Trout be a running back. Do you think he'd be like Bo Jackson? I don't know. Is he that fast? Is he that strong? Probably. Or like, how uh, about Mookie? How about Mookie returning a punt?
1: Yeah, he reminds me of Deontay Harris. Assumption's finest. Kick uh, punt, punt return receiver for the New Orleans Saints. Assumption's finest. He's even finer than me. It would be an assumption's finest. Uh, let me try to think of a good one off the cuff because I saw the question. I didn't give it too much thought. What about like a,
0: about like a pitcher that you would want to be – this is basically baseball to football. Uh, mm-hmm. A pitcher you would want to see be a quarterback.
1: Oh, man, I, I feel like the Stroh Show is a good enough athlete to play quarterback. could run. I on. hate saying that. I don't want to give him that credit. He's too short though. You can't see over the line. Colin Murphy, small. He just made the ridiculous helmet. Did you see that throw?
0: Pretty good.
1: That was stupid.
0: Pretty good. I couldn't man. believe it.
1: Oh, how about how about Nick Chubb just devastating fantasy owners yesterday? What Did happened? You see that? That?
0: I saw like a replay, but I didn't get the story on it. It was a. Uh, was it for the spread? Trying to kill the clock. What? No, they, know, they, they yeah, he was just
1: trying to kill the clock. He was just being first team all good teammate. Like he just wanted to know, be able to snap though. the ball and down it. Scoring would have, it literally wouldn't have changed anything, right? Scoring is actually probably a better play at that point, but then you can make the argument that kick, ret- uh, kick return for a touchdown, onside kick at the ball back instant- versus like having to snap the ball once or twice and kneeling on it. But, man, I got Nick Chubb back this week in fantasy, and he just left six points just laying out there. And all the people that had Cleveland minus three and a half are like, wah, wah, wah.
0: I don't know much about it other than what you just told me. So it sounds it was, like, I mean, he literally could have fallen more, into I, the end zone. I saw him, like, he, like, just turned left. Right at the pylon. But All right. A lot of stuff going on in the sports world. Uh, I feel like we're going to get hot stoby in future, in future Pickles here. No winter meetings. They've been canceled. The ABCA is virtual. Mohegan well, Sun's virtual.
1: So everybody should tune in to pickle.
0: For sure, for we'll us. have our own winter meetings. Very good. We can invite
1: well, all the meetingers here.
0: Yeah, we yeah. should. Uh, how about this? If you've made it this far, suggest some guests for us. <laughs> we can bring. Some, we can start bringing some guests on.
1: Yes, Calitero winter meetings. Pickle <laughs> pickle winter meetings.
0: We should, we should start dreaming up some just ridiculous guests and get them on here.
1: Yes. And every day of the winter Pelotero Pickle Winter Meetings is a different type of pickle. Sweet dill on the first day. Kosher dill on the next there's
0: day. A, there's a YouTube show where they just, they sit down, they eat really, really hot chicken wings together. Yeah. And the whole show, like they do an interview while they're just devastated by hot sauce. All right. Uh, that about wraps it up for the pickle episode today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Peace!